0: We took a break from our series in Acts, and today uh, we're going to return to our story uh, in Acts. And we've been in this story for the better part of a year. Um, And so we're going to try to finish up Acts in the next about five weeks, uh, and then we've got a great summer series planned. Uh, But this past week, uh, I saw a great film uh, called uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. All right, anyone see that movie? All right, we'll go to Redbox tonight. Uh, for the three of you who saw it, this, this, will, this sermon will make much more sense to you. Um, but I'd, you know, I'd seen the previews for this movie, and it looked intriguing, but uh, I saw it this past week with my family, and it's a phenomenal story of a man who just daydreamed about being the hero, the adventurer, being the man, but his dilemma was that his daydreams never translated into how he actually lived his life. He dreamed all of these things of what he could do and where he could go and the person that he could be, but the problem was it never actually showed up into his everyday existence. He dreamed of the adventure, but he never actually entered into the adventure. But thanks to the help of a customer service rep from eHarmony and a girl, Walter was encouraged to do something he'd never done before, get out of his head and step into his life. Uh, stopped dreaming about what could be and was encouraged to actually enter into and live what he had just dreamed about in his head. And uh, the film, it honestly just got me thinking. I wrote this down in my journal, uh, this question of how many of us daydream about a life that we never actually live? How many of us are daydreaming uh, about a life um, but not actually living that life? We dream about things we could do, things we could say, places we could go. But like Walter Mitty, what we daydream about never translates into how we actually live. Uh, as we've been walking through the story of Acts, um, one of the things that's been inspiring to me is uh, this is a community of men and women who are nothing like Walter Mitty. Uh, They are not a community of men and women who are just daydreamers. They are a community of men and women who actually dare to trust God for something better, something greater. And I don't know about you, and I hope this would be true of you, uh, I don't want to be the guy that just daydreams and thinks about all the things that God might do, all the things that God could do, uh, but I never actually enter into uh, and say, God, I just, I want to go. Wherever it is you want, I just, I want to go there. If that's what you want me to, I just want to do that. Um, and the Apostle Paul, uh, even if you're not totally familiar with the Apostle Paul, I think many of us would say, you know what, uh, he's an inspiring person. Uh, the fact that we're still talking about the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years later, um, he lived a pretty compelling life. And I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, the Apostle Paul and some things that we learned from him on the third missionary journey. Uh, But I wanted to ask a question uh, before we look at the text that will hopefully frame the the bigger story that we're looking at. And here's the question. It's a very challenging question, but it goes like this. How would you finish this sentence? My life is worth nothing to me unless. And if you have a journal or take a note card in front of you, with a pen, uh, what would you fill in the blank with? My life is worth nothing to me unless, what would your unless be, what would your fill in the blank be? Unless I get married, unless I have a family, unless I have a successful job, unless I'm happy, unless I'm comfortable, unless it's convenient, like, what would you say? My life is worth nothing to me unless. For me, that's a pretty challenging question. What would I really put there? One of the things this morning is, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul, he actually answered this question for us. If uh, you uh, look to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, this is what the Apostle Paul says My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God that's just fill in the blank. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. Unless I use it. Unless I use this life that's been given to me by God for God to do what God wants me to do. And what I I love about Paul, he could have, my life is worth nothing to me unless I get fame. Uh, And if I get, you know, um, the notoriety and the power and the prestige and all of these things, but rather than gain what he was going to lose anyways, he said, my life is worth nothing to me unless, unless I use it. And I just love this picture of Walter Mitty. He didn't use his life. At the end, I won't ruin it for you, but it turns out very good. Um, but he didn't use it. But the, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, I want to use my life. And what he says is, I want to use my life to tell others about the wonderful grace of God. I just want to use my life to tell others the wonderful, about the wonderful good news of the wonderful grace of God. Um, a question for you, um, Apostle Paul said, I'm going to use my life to tell others about the wonderful grace, about this incredible good news. Now, if you've ever seen a publisher's clearinghouse there's those people who dress in funny clothes and they knock on someone's door with a big fake check and balloons and a camera crew. And they say, Hey, you've just won $50 million. Like I've seen that before. I'm like, that must be a pretty sweet gig. Like you just travel from town to town and you know, you're bringing people incredible news, right? They get this, whatever they won, you get to be the bearer of you are, you've just won, Imagine if that was your job. Do you think you'd ever get sick of knocking on someone's door and just seeing them light up with the big fake, uh, you know, check? I was thinking about what if your job was like a company actually paid you to do this. Your job was just to go around and tell everyone in the company good news. Like your job was literally just to go from office to office and say, I have good news for you. And that's all you did. Someone paid you to do that. Do you think you'd like your job? that your job was literally just to brighten others. Say, I just have, I know you're in this place and here, but I have good news for you. Now, when I consider the apostle Paul, he was really convinced that the news was good news. So much so that he says, I'm going to give my life to this good news. And I was been wrestling with, why on earth was Paul so taken by this good news? Like, what made this news so good to the Apostle Paul? And my answer to that question is just, he knew the good news so well and was so compelled by the good news because he was very aware of the bad news. And so for Paul, because he knew the flip side, he knew the bad news, it made the good news even that much more wonderful. Towards the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. This is at the end of his life. My interpretation, if there is a sinning contest, Paul would say, I win. I am the biggest sinner, the biggest sinner of them all. And he goes on to say, "Um, but... God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. See, Paul didn't have like a low self-esteem problem. What Paul had was a really healthy understanding of who he was. And he realized He wasn't getting more and more impressed with himself as he got older and more ministry was happening, more churches were planted, more people were coming to faith. He wasn't getting more impressed with himself. He was getting more and more impressed with who God was. And when your idea, your vision of who God really is, you're going to start to understand who you really are. And Paul knew in light of who God is and what God is like, I am nothing like him. But how amazing is it that God still loves me? How amazing is it that God still cares for me? How amazing is it that God still wants to have a friendship, a relationship with the worst of the worst of sinners? So I feel like Paul understood and had a love and a passion for the good news because he understood the bad news. He knew who he was, but he understood who God was. So maybe a question for us to wrestle with this is this, how wonderful, how wonderful is God's grace to you? Just think about that. How wonderful is it? Like, you may have been coming to church for months or, or years, and when you hear someone tell you, you are loved by God, is that news that is like, Michael, man, you say that a lot. Like, give us something new. Like, try again. Like, let's... Do you have something new, something different, something better? And I just... How wonderful is God's grace to you? Because when Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for telling other people, that was a statement that he was making the most important thing I could do with my life is make sure that everyone in my life knows about the wonderful news, the good news of wonderful uh, God's grace. So how wonderful is it in your life? For me, um, You know, I grew up, I I went to church for a better part of my life, Uh, but for some reason in my head, I had really thought, I really believed it to be true, that there were things that I could actually do that would somehow make God love me more. And so I would live my life trying to do things where God would be impressed with me, where God would really, I really believe that. And I'm sure I had people come alongside me in my life and say, Michael, that's not how it works. You can't do things to, to make God love you more. Like grace is grace, it's, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't, I'm sure there was people who told me that, but oh how I tried to prove them wrong. And so I wasted years of my existence trying to do things and live a life where God would say, I love you so much more. And if I was giving myself to that, can you understand the the weight of the flip side of that? When I was having bad days, bad moments, bad weeks, bad months, bad years, how I lived under the constant heavy depression of, wow, God must really hate me because he saw what I did last night. He saw my selfishness here. He saw my arrogance and my pride. He saw all of it, how God must hate me. And so for years, I just lived under this weight of what was later revealed to me as just a performance-driven faith. And so why to me today, the good news is so amazing, so wonderful, is because now I really believe that I will never be more loved by God than I am right now. There's nothing good that I can do where God's going to be like, dang it, I love you even more. Like that was, I didn't see that one coming. I, I, I didn't think I could love you more, but I love you more. That will never happen. I am Loved by God right now, completely and fully. That's what makes the wonderful good news and the wonderful grace of God so amazing to me. Knowing that I will sin, I will have bad moments, selfish moments, self-centered moments, and that does not change God's posture towards me. So how wonderful is God's grace to you? Uh, A book that God used in my life um, 23 years ago. Uh, It was a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and Brennan Manning said this, The gospel of grace calls out. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must be convinced of this. Trust it. Never forget to remember. Everything else will pass away, but the love of Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Nothing. Nothing. Your good performance isn't going to change it. Your bad performance isn't going to change it. And I think Paul was convinced. And this is why he said, I will give my life to make sure that people like Michael Davis don't live with lies in his head that there's things that you can do that will separate you from God's love or make God love you more. One of the things that, um, as I consider the Apostle Paul, is he didn't just walk around kind of just floating on cloud 8 or 9 or 10, whatever the cloud is he walked around a changed man. He didn't just walk around passing out sticks saying, hey, God loves you. God loves you. And that was it. The love of God, the grace of God changed his life. It transformed his life. I like how Spurgeon said it. If grace does not make us differ from other men, it is not the grace which which God gives. The grace that God does if, sorry, the grace that does not make a man better is a worthless counterfeit. Meaning if you hear of God's grace for you, towards you, and it's not making a difference, and I would challenge you, have you really understood and received the wonderful grace of God? Because it, it will change, it will transform you as we see with the Apostle Paul. And this is why Paul is nothing like Walter Mitty. He did not daydream about doing all that God wanted him to do. He was set on fire. He was set on fire to live his life. I want other people to know about the wonderful grace of God. Uh, John Piper wrote a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, The title is just worth the 10 bucks alone. Don't Waste Your Life. And he says this, the people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing, one great all-embracing thing, and they've been set on fire. You've been mastered by not many things, but mastered by one all-encompassing thing, and be set on fire by it. Paul was set on fire by the wonderful grace of God. And so my question for you and for me to wrestle with what would those closest to you say that you have been set on fire by? Like the people who know you, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, those that you live with, a fellow student, a friend, a coworker, whoever. What would they say? I know that person, and this is what they are set on fire by. This is the one thing that I just, I, they are so set ablaze on that. What would they say? And I I don't mean this uh, to bring up Chipotle or Ohio State, but my fear is that when when I ask that question, there would be some people who think of me, Michael Davis loves Chipotle and he loves Ohio State. And I do, I do. But I don't want anyone ever to be confused. It's a restaurant and it's a university. In the grand scheme, it means this much to me. What is that what people would really say? He's, he wears like shirts with Chipotle on it. He's a Buckeye fanatic. Like I don't want people in my life to be confused about what is it that I am set on fire by? What is the one all-encompassing, embracing thing that sets me on fire? What would it be for you? I know for Paul it was the wonderful grace of God. And what I would like to do just in the remaining time that we have is uh, walk through uh, not the entire uh, third missionary journey. I just want to share some things from Acts chapter 19 uh, and 20. Um, And I wanted to just specifically look at the Apostle Paul. How did this one thing, the wonderful grace of God, actually show up in how he lived? Because it's not something we just talk about. It's something that we live This is not the Walter Mitty where I think about what could be, might be, should be. This is the wonderful grace of God says, no, you enter into this. What can we learn from the Apostle Paul as one who was not confused as to what the all-encompassing thing is? Uh, This is the third missionary journey. Uh, The first two missionary journeys covered almost five, six years of the Apostle Paul's life. Traveled nearly 5,000 miles to almost 30 different cities. And now he's beginning his third journey, and his third journey will be nearly five years long, uh, covering roughly roughly 15 cities, covering almost 3,500 miles. Okay, so after, uh, as we begin this third missionary journey, my question is, how does the wonderful grace of God shape how we use our life? Because Paul was using his life. And for me, I want to use my life. I don't want to daydream about my life. I want to use my life. And I'll give you three very quickly. Number one would be this. Use your life to help others understand the things of God that they do not understand but need to understand. Bit of a tongue twister. Use your life to help others understand the things of God that they do not understand but need to understand. Acts chapter 19, as he starts out his... uh, his, first, his third missionary journey says this. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until they reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And he asks this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard, of, uh, heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Imagine being Paul. Wait, what? You've never even heard of the Holy Spirit? In that moment, Paul could have just gotten all feisty and be like, what kind of terrible believers are you? What is your deal? How, do, how have you never heard of the Holy Spirit? But he doesn't do that. He goes on and he asks a question. Um, he says, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, they replied, we haven't heard there's the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, well, the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. What I love about what Paul does here uh, for this group, uh, he doesn't know them, but he's just come across them. And he just asks them a question and they give him an answer. And rather than condemning them for what they do not know, for what they do not understand or have never even heard of, He seeks to ask them some questions to understand where they are. And then after asking them some questions, he knows best how to come alongside them and explain to them what they need to know, but what they do not know. And so he goes on in Acts chapter 19, verse 5 through 7. As soon as they heard this, and I want you to catch, the heard this is he's explained who Jesus is. He's explained who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is like, Uh, In uh, verse uh, 4, he finished, but John himself told people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And when they hear this, an explanation of Jesus, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, clearly, there's a lot that could be said about these few verses, and there's tons of books written on these things. But what I really honestly wanted you to catch was what Paul did for these men and women. What Paul did for these men and women, the grace of God compelled him to come alongside others so that they might understand fully the things of God. They needed help. They never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, rather than condemning them, said, let me explain a few things to you. Let me ask this question. Have you ever had someone in your life that you've just, you're frustrated with them? You're frustrated with them because they just don't seem to get it. They're slow to understand. They're slow to change. They just are slow to go where you really want them to go. Have you ever had someone in your life who just, they just don't get it? And just so you know, as you're thinking about someone, someone might be thinking about you. So just be careful. Be careful. But we have people like that in our life. Why don't they get it? Why don't they understand? What? Why are they so slow? Why does this progress just seem like it's snail-paced? One of the things that um, I wanted you to remember is you haven't. You're here today but you haven't always been where you are today. It took somebody else coming alongside you to get you to where you currently are today. It took somebody else coming alongside you to help you understand the things of God, to help you understand the things, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the gospel. It took somebody else, whether it was a a, a friend, a book you read, a sermon you listened to, it took somebody else to come alongside you to help get you to where you are today. You haven't always been where you are, but God in his grace allowed someone else to cross your path to say, hey, let me walk with you. And so I just wonder, the people that you often and easily and quickly get frustrated with because they're not there, don't forget, you weren't always where you are. And the grace of God compelled Paul, and it should compel us to say, I want to come alongside other people. I know you don't understand this, but I want you to understand it because you need to understand it. And so I would just ask, is there someone maybe in your life, maybe many people in your life, that God is saying, I've put you where you are so you could be used by me to help explain to them what they don't understand, but what they need to understand? God was gracious to do that for you. Would we, in response to the grace of God, be willing to come alongside other people to help them understand what they don't understand? The second thing I'd share with you is this. Use your life to be fully where you are and faithful with one message. Use your life to be fully where you are and faithful with one message. Acts Acts chapter 20 says this. When they arrived, he declared... The, uh, the audience here is Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, sp- specifically to the leadership. He says, you know, from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly uh, with many tears. Guys, I want you to catch that. So when you think about like making fun of me because I cry a lot, well, you got to start making fun of the apostle Paul uh, and good luck doing that. He says, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Uh, Before uh, my uh, wife and I, we moved to Boston. I lived in Chicago. We moved here 10 years ago this summer. Uh, And I was actually born and raised in Chicago from like zero to 10. uh, But I went to seminary uh, in the Chicagoland area. Uh, And I lived there for four years. And as I've looked back over my time in Chicago, those four years, uh, I'm actually pretty filled with regret. And when I say I'm filled with regret is I look back at those years and I say I just wasted it. I wasted those four years of being fully where God had me because I couldn't get out of my mind. And Kyle and I, we could not get out of our mind. We're not really here. Like, this is just a season of our life. We're not really here. We, we don't think God's going to have us live in Chicago forever. And so we just lived in this transition mindset. We never really invested in people. We never invested in community. We never really gave of ourselves because... We couldn't escape this thought. We're not going to be here long, so what on earth is the point? And what I love about the Apostle Paul, he was often only in places for very short spurts of time, a few months, a few years at best. But wherever he was, he was fully there all the time. He was fully present. But for me, when I lived in Chicago, I was so focused on where I might be one day that I missed where God had placed me that day so focused on where I could be, where I might be, that I completely missed, but this is where God has me. The men and women who in this community who do this very well is the men and women who are from Hanscom. They serve in uh, the military, whether it's Air Force or another armed service, but I am so thankful for the men and women from Hanscom because when they come here, they're usually only here for a year, maybe two, maybe three at best. And once they know that this is their community, they jump in. They serve, they give, they connect, they make this their home, they make this their family, even though they know this will only last for two or three years until they get their next assignment. I am so thankful for their example to me, but also to all of us, to be fully where you are, not thinking of, well, we're only here for a few months, a few years, what's the point of investing? What's the point of giving or connecting? Paul never missed what God was doing right there in the moment. And not only that, he was fully present. Paul was, he had one one message. That was it. He had one thing that he would communicate to people. It's not the only thing he talked about, but the one thing didn't matter if he was with Jews or with Gentiles. The same people heard the same message coming from Paul, and the message was, repent from sin and turn to God. Place your faith in Jesus. That's what he would tell people all the time. And I feel like we hear that message of repent, we're like, Michael, that's like a swear word. It's like a six-letter swear word that starts with R. I just, I don't want to hear about repentance. And I feel like we get really confused on what repentance actually is, because when I invite you to repent, you know what I'm actually doing? I'm inviting, change your mind. Change your mind in how you're thinking about things. Change your mind from thinking that your life is really about you. It's not. Change your mind from thinking that you are the center of your life. You're not the center of your life. Change your mind is to repent. And when we have a change of mind, it leads to a change of direction. So the great gift that Paul gives to people in his one message is repent. Change your mind about how you are living and how you are thinking. Don't make it about you. Make it about God and who God is and what God's doing. I wrote it down in my journal like this. The most loving thing I can do for someone is not just tell them about God's love, but invite them to repent of loving self in order to love God. The most loving thing I can do for someone is not just tell them about God's love, but invite them to place their faith, not in themselves, but in Jesus alone. That's the most loving thing I can do. That's the most loving thing that Paul did for people. Repent. Don't make it about you place your faith in Jesus, not in yourself, not in your works, not in what you could do or might do, but place your faith in Jesus. Walter Mitty always dreamed of what he could do if he was somewhere else. But what I believe God's invitation uh, to you and to me is use your life where you are. Wherever God's placed you, even if you don't like it, God's placed you there because he wants to use you. He's placed you in a neighborhood, in a work environment, Uh, wherever you might be, God has placed you there for a reason. Be fully present rather than dreaming about one day when you can be somewhere else. I don't want you to miss what God has for you and be faithful with the one message. It's a gift to encourage someone to say, hey, if you go down the road of making everything about you, where does that road actually lead? And when you invite someone to repent, that's a loving thing to do. Uh, The third final thing that I would share with you is this. Use your life to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Paul, who understood the wonderful grace of God, kept in step with the Spirit of God. It says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23. It says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail and suffering lies ahead. Wow, what a message. What I'm getting from the Spirit is, hey, Paul, what's coming up? More suffering, more jail. But what is so compelling to me about the Apostle Paul is he used his life, he kept in step with the Spirit of God. I don't know how this works for you, but I'll share with you how it used to work for me. I used to really seek the spirit of God in the big things in life. Like when I had a big decision to make, um, should I ask this girl out? Should I take this job? Should I look for this place? Should I move here? Should I buy this? Like bigger stuff, right? That's when I would really kind of figure out, all right, God, I want to invite you into this process now. I'm in this place. What do you think? Here are our options, God. Let, go ahead and speak into this. And that's how I honestly approached the Spirit of God and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. And to be honest with you, it didn't work. It left me constantly frustrated. I have no clue of what God really wants me to do. Left or right, I just was always frustrated. And one of the things that God had taught me is, Michael, stop looking for me and, and what I want you to do in these big moments. Start paying attention to what I have for you in the small moments, the everyday moments. If you can get that right, you're not even going to have to be worried about the bigger stuff because you've kept in step with me every single day, every moment of every day. And what transformed for me is I stopped seeking God in the big things, and I just started asking, God, what do you want me to do today? Is there someone I can call? Is there someone I can email? Is there someone I can encourage? Is there someone in this restaurant that you want me just to bless? And it totally revolutionized how I I kept in step with the Spirit of God. Because God was really gracious to say, this is what I have. This is who I want you to encourage or love or serve or give. Paul is a phenomenal example of someone who just kept in step with the Spirit of God. And I think Paul had greater joy than most. (laughs) Uh, Oswald Chambers, in one of his books, uh, commented on this section in Acts, and he said this, joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of the specific purpose for which I was created, not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. I just, I envisioned Paul walked around as a, a guy who was beaten, a guy who was persecuted, a guy who was probably pretty tired, but he was very joyful, because he knew he was walking in step with what God wanted him to do. And there is so much joy that comes from doing what God wants you to do. Even if you do what you want to do, and even if it works, even if you're successful, I promise you, it will be empty. But when you begin to do everything that God wants you to do every single day, your joy is going to skyrocket because there is so much joy to be had when I'm just keeping in step with the Spirit and doing what the Spirit wants me to do, no longer doing what I want to do. The wonderful grace of God, that's what Paul said. His one thing that he gave his life to was the wonderful grace of God, and it had an incredible impact. He came alongside other people to help them understand what they didn't know but needed to know. He was fully present wherever he was with one mission, one message. And he just was a man who kept in step with the Spirit.